was the largest seaborne invasion in history. A total of 156,000 American, British, and Canadian allies gathered on the island of England to prepare to cross the English Channel to free France from German occupation, starting with their D-Day invasion. This campaign would involve many battles before the Allied victory of May 7, 1945. Planning for this invasion began in August of 1943 and resulted in the arrival and staging of armies from America, Canada, Britain, and Australia. In addition, volunteer refugees from Poland joined the ranks. When seven million tons of supplies were stockpiled, some remarked that the British Isle could sink under this enormous weight of all this gathering of armies and materiel. As we study the steps leading to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, we first must understand why the campaign of Armageddon will begin with just such a staging or a great gathering, if you will, and why it will take place at a particular point in history. In part one of this video series, we learn that the Antichrist will enter the Holy of Holies in the temple at the midpoint of the seven-year tribulation and will proclaim himself to be God. This abomination of desolation will serve as a signal for Jews of the testimony of Jesus Christ to flee from Judea and go into the wilderness for protection. These individuals will have believed the testimony of the two witnesses who will preach in Jerusalem, according to Revelation 11, and they will become saved. Now, before we consider this event, we need to answer two questions. First, what will cause Satan to pull out all the stops, if you will, in an attempt to annihilate Israel at this particular time in history? And secondly, what will motivate the Antichrist to turn against Israel and break his covenant with the nation at that time? The answer to these questions is found in Revelation chapter 12, verses 9 through 14, where we read, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath 
but a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, he persecuted the woman, remember the woman is Israel, which brought forth the man-child. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place, where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. This is Revelation chapter 12. These verses tell us that Satan and the fallen angels will be cast out of heaven forever. Throughout history, Satan and the fallen angels have had access to heaven and the throne of God. In Job's day, God talked with Satan in heaven and allowed him to test Job's faith. God permitted this in order to demonstrate to Satan and the fallen angels that his ways are just and right and that some human individuals will choose to trust in him, that's in God, by faith in spite of trials and testing. During the church age, Satan has been persistently pointing out the sins and failures of Christians to God. Quite possibly, he may be present at the judgment seat of Christ that will take place in heaven after the rapture. This will be a review and evaluation time that will determine rewards or lack of rewards for each Christian as each believer's actions, thoughts, and motives are reviewed. You may want to check that out in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 through 15. Now, as high priest at the right hand of God, Jesus Christ has been interceding for believers who have been cleansed by his own blood. It is quite possible that this event will be Satan's final opportunity to bring accusations against the church. That's Christ's bride. If this is so, Christians will fully understand and appreciate all that Christ's atoning work has done in providing redemption when he intercedes at this time for each believer who has been cleansed by his blood. The observing angels, all angelic beings, including fallen angels and Satan, also will know and will understand the manifold wisdom of God. For we read, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers, angelic beings, including Satan and demons, in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. You'll find that in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. At this point, Satan will be enraged when he and his fallen angels are cast out of heaven at the midpoint of the tribulation. For he will know for certain that his time is short, his days are numbered on this earth. This is why Satan will indwell the Antichrist at this time and cause him to break the covenant with Israel that had allowed the nation to peacefully worship and sacrifice on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Satan will make a last-ditch attempt to prevent Christ's return to earth to retake the earthly kingdom and to rule and reign for 1,000 years. 
That's found in Revelation 20, verse 4. In order to do this, Satan will launch a campaign to annihilate the woman which brought forth the man-child in Revelation 12. The woman is the nation. It's a symbol for the nation of Israel and every Jewish person on earth. As carefully explained in my book, The European Union and the Supra-Religion, setting the stage for the final act, the woman of this passage is a symbolic representation. It's a great wonder, meaning symbolic, representing the nation of Israel, not the Virgin Mary. Now, Mary was a lovely, chaste Jewish virgin that God selected to be the instrument through whom Israel, the nation's promised Messiah, was born. For we read that salvation is of the Jews, the nation of Israel, in John 4.22 and Romans 9, verses 4 and 5. According to verse 14, God will give the spiritually observant Jews of Judea, that is the remnant of believing Jews, swift flight with two wings of a great eagle to the place he will prepare for them in the wilderness. He also will protect his people from the serpent. You see, God inspired the Apostle John to refer to Satan here in Revelation 12 as the serpent in order to take us back to Genesis and the Garden of Eden. God wants us to compare Scripture to Scripture to learn. For in Eden was where Satan usurped the earthly kingdom from Adam and became Earth's authorized ruler. It was there that God promised a deliverer. He said, the seed of the woman, who would redeem humanity, reclaim the earthly kingdom. Satan fears Christ's reclamation of the kingdom of on earth. Therefore, he will do anything to prevent it. Perhaps you are wondering why Satan must destroy Israel in order to retain his hold on the earthly kingdom. Well, according to Zechariah 12.10, God promised to cleanse and restore the nation of Israel and return to the earth when she, Israel, turns back into, to him in repentance. For we read, And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. They shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. Uh, that last phrase, in bitterness for his firstborn, refers to how he will mourn if his firstborn son dies. And so, so Israel will mourn when they realize it was truly Jesus Christ was the Messiah. Now, Israel's rejection of her Messiah, if you'll recall, was way back at the triumphal entry in Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday. That rejection of Christ delayed Christ's retaking of the earth and the kingdom from Satan at that time. But, when the nation of Israel calls out to God in repentance in the future, the Lord will deliver her from Satan's armies 
and reclaim the earth as his kingdom. For again, we read in scripture, blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly, weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, spare thy people, O Lord, give not thine heritage to reproach. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. And the heavens and the earth shall shake. But the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. In the New Testament, Paul indicates that God's plan always has been to turn Israel back to himself. For in Romans chapter 11 and verse 25 to 27, we read, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written. There shall come out of Zion the Deliverer, and he shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant or promise unto them, when I shall take away their sins. Thus the two conditions for this to happen are, number one, Israel must confess her national sins. According to Leviticus 26, verses 40 to 42, Jeremiah chapter 3, verses 11 through 18, and Hosea 5, verse 15. And secondly, the people must cry out to the Messiah to come to them. According to Zechariah 12:10, Matthew 23, 37 to 39. You see, there must be a nation of Israel and there must be Jewish people in the nation of Israel in existence for this to happen. If Satan is able to succeed in destroying Israel and every Jewish person, he will retain his kingdom here on earth. According to Zechariah 3, 1 and 2, Satan has had an ongoing animosity toward God's chosen people and his special city, Jerusalem, ever since they came into being. For we read, And he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuked thee, O Satan, even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Now, as we continue back in Revelation chapter 12, beginning with verse 14 and reading through verse 17, we learn how Satan will unsuccessfully attempt to destroy those Jewish people who have the testimony, notice that, the testimony of Jesus Christ as they flee to the wilderness at the midpoint of the tribulation. But God will intervene, for we read, and to the woman 
were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time. What from? From the face of the serpent. And the serpent cast out his mouth water as a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman. Remember the woman's Israel. And went to make war with the remnant of her seed which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. For the remaining three and one half years of the tribulation, Satan will continue to persecute Israel and the Jewish people as well as those who have been saved out of the Gentile nations. He will do this through the Antichrist and his false prophet who is his counterfeit Holy Spirit. You'll find that in Revelation 13, verses 11 through 18. Satan's ultimate attempt will be to gather the armies of all the nations of the earth, a gathering under the guise of the satanically driven Antichrist. He will begin his campaign to destroy Israel once and for all, the campaign of Armageddon. We must continually remind ourselves that God is in control of events on the earth. Nothing catches him by surprise. Through the prophet Joel, God tells us what will happen when Satan prompts the Antichrist to begin the campaign of Armageddon. For we read in chapter 3, verses 9 through 11. Proclaim ye this among the Gentiles. Prepare war. Wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Assemble yourselves. In other words, gather together. Assemble yourselves and come all ye heathen and gather yourselves together round about. Thither cause thy mighty ones to come down. Now, greater detail is given in Revelation chapter 16 and verses 12 through 16. So, Revelation chapter 16, beginning in verse 12. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates. The water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather, to bring together, to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. 
Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together into a place called, in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. You see that? The Antichrist and the gathering place on the plain of Armageddon. As more fully explained in my video series on the rise of the Antichrist, we learn from Scripture that the Antichrist will begin his career as a lesser influence in the fourth kingdom of Daniel. That's the Reformed Roman Empire. That fourth kingdom is a fragmented form of the nations that originally formed the Roman Empire. It will be made up of some nations that are strong and others that are weak. The Antichrist will increasingly rise to power throughout the first half of the tribulation. Initially, this empire will consist of ten regions headed by ten kings. With the guidance and help of Satan, the Antichrist will subdue three of these kings, leaving six kings plus himself as the seventh king. Initially, he will focus his efforts on persecuting the saints of the Most High. That's believers of all nations who have turned to Christ for salvation during the tribulation. Recall, all true believers who know Jesus Christ as their Savior before the tribulation will have been removed at the rapture. So we're talking about those who will be saved during the tribulation. We read of this in Daniel chapter 7 and verses 24 and 25. So turn to Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel chapter 7 verse 24. And we read, And the ten horns out of this kingdom, that's Daniel's fourth kingdom, are ten kings that shall arise, and another shall rise after them. And he shall be diverse from the first. He shall do subdue three kings, and he shall speak great words against the Most High. Notice, against the Most High. That's God the Father. And he shall wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of times. That's the first three and one half years of the tribulation. The Apostle John gave us further information relating to this, to these events. Now, after the apparent death and the miraculous resurrection of the Antichrist, an event that's really intended to mimic Christ's death and resurrection, remember, Satan's always mimicking what thing, things that God does, Satan will enter into the Antichrist. He will indwell him. The Council of Kings will be so, so awestruck by the Antichrist's miraculous resurrection that they will allow him to be in full control of the council and follow whatever he proposes to do. We read in Revelation chapter 17 now, verses 10 through 14. And there are seven kings. Five are fallen. One is, the other is not, and yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space and the beast that was 
and is not. Even he is the eighth. So that's the Antichrist who is miraculously resurrected. Even he is the eighth and is of the seven and goeth into perdition. And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as yet. That's when John wrote. But received power as kings one hour with the beast. Verse 13. These have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. These shall make war with the lamb, and the lamb shall overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And they which are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. Now over in Revelations chapter 17 and 18, we see that that and many prophecies in the Old Testament indicate that the city of Babylon will become the major political and economic power of the world during the tribulation. You may want to specifically look at Revelation 18, verses 3 and 9. Babylon will become the Antichrist's capital. This is not surprising, for Satan will use the first half of the tribulation to regain what was, in essence, his first capital that he attempted in ancient Babel. We must never forget that Babel is where Satan created the first pagan religion, that involved a mother-child worship. This false religion was introduced by Nimrod's wife, Semiramis, a former prostitute. Satan used Semiramis to initiate a false religion that intentionally mimicked God's promise to send his son through the seed of a woman. That seed would come, Jesus Christ, through the chaste Virgin Mary. Ever since Babel, there have been many variations of a mother-child-based false religion. You see, Satan always appealed to men's lust, sexual perversions, and greed to draw them into his false religious systems of worship. Any religion that is based on worshiping a mother-child instead of God the Son is blasphemous. It's not what God intended. Throughout history, Satan has used false female deities to draw people away from the true faith. Now, while God draws individuals to faith through love, Satan has used deception, force, coercion, and murder to gain converts. During the tribulation, this false religious system will reach its pinnacle as Satan uses, according to Revelation, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, to unite humanity in worship and rebellion against God. He will do this through force and murder. God, however, will destroy Babylon forever. For we read again in Revelation chapter 17 and verses 5 and 6, And upon her forehead, was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth and tongues. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. 
And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. That means with amazement. You see, the Apostle John expressed sorrow and astonishment at so awful an abomination. And going to verse 18, And the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. From there, the Antichrist will rule the fourth kingdom, the reestablished Roman Empire. In his goal, in Satan's goal, it is to be like the Most High in Isaiah 14, 14. Satan attempts to mimic all aspects of God's plan for history. This mimicry requires a chosen city for him to rule from and be worshipped in. He will do this to mimic God's plan for his son to rule and to be worshipped in God's chosen city of Jerusalem during the millennium. Now, Satan's means for obtaining his goal will be to have the Antichrist gather his armies at Armageddon to prepare for war with the Lamb. That's with Jesus Christ, Revelation 17, 14a. And Jesus Christ's city is Jerusalem. This gathering will include the military forces of the Council of Six Kings and the Antichrist's army from the east, seven armies. In identifying this eastern army, we must never lose sight of the fact that all directions should be understood as the initial readers of Revelation would have understood it. To them, east always referred to the region of Mesopotamia, Assyria and Babylon primarily, not China, of the Far East. Many mistakenly believe that this army from the East will come from the Orient, specifically China, with an army of 200 million soldiers, and they base that on Revelation 9. But notice, the army of 200 million in Revelation 9, verse 16, will be part of the sixth trumpet judgment in Revelation 9, verses 13 through 18. We always have to keep the judgments clearly in mind as we're reading various verses here. This one is part of the trumpet judgment, the sixth trumpet. But the Antichrist's army from the east will be part of the sixth vile or bowl judgment of Revelation 16 verses 12 through 16. These are two distinctly different judgments. The sixth trumpet judgment is followed by five vile judgments, and then comes the army of the east, which will appear as part of the sixth vile judgment. Furthermore, the army of Revelation 9 seems to be comprised of demons that destroy men, not a human army whereas the army of the sixth vial is demonically motivated, yes, but comprised of human armies of the sixth human kings plus the Antichrist's army of the east, verse 14. Thus, the unholy trinity, consisting of Satan, the Antichrist, and his false prophet, will create a coalition of these seven armies and join forces and gather at the plain of Armageddon. Revelation 16, 12 through 16. 
I would also add that the entire sixth vial or bowl judgment includes only the gathering of the armies. Notice that. It includes only the gathering of the armies, not a battle in and of itself. It is the preliminary staging for a series of battles to follow in what we are calling the Campaign of Armageddon. The location of this gathering is derived from the Hebrew, Har Megiddo, is always located at the north end of the major pass through Mount Carmel Range, where the coastal road comes up from the south into the plain of Estralion. Megiddo was about 20 meters high in John's day, so it was high up. It's very important to note that no actual battle will be fought there, Rather, this is the assembly point for the armies of the Antichrist, much like England was the assembly point for the American, English, and Canadian armies just prior to the D-Day invasion of France. But no battle was fought on the land of England. With the gathering of these armies now, the sixth vial of God's judgments will be complete, and we are now prepared to study the second stage, or step, in the campaign of Armageddon, as God's seventh angel pours out the seventh vile judgment, God's judgment on Babylon. For we read, Great Babylon came in remembrance before God. Revelation 16, verse 19. Please join me as we'll look in the part two of this video to see the destruction of Babylon, the second stage in the campaign of Armageddon. And until I see you there, until then, may our Lord bless you mightily, and I'll either see you here 